Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Generic Foiling Pod. This week Liam and I sat down with Vega from Apple Tree uh, and chatted all things kite surfing and foilboarding. Uh, Apple Tree's kind of been making waves over the last couple of years, probably a few years really, um, in the foiling industry. Their construction is second to none, they're bringing EU production uh, back as well, getting a lot of interest from a lot of people and a lot of brands as well. Um, Liam and uh, Liam hasn't met met Vega before, but I've met Vega a couple of years ago at the Kite Surf Armada when he was over here. So it was great to chat to him then, and then we've we've chatted since. Um, I do kite surf on one of their boards. We were really keen to get Vega on uh, to the podcast. Um, we both know of the brand fairly fairly well. It's been out and about quite a bit, and it's something that's caused quite a bit of a stir over the last few years. Uh, Rich, our friend from Bantham retails the brand and does quite a lot of work with them rides them himself and really does like them uh so we've had a chance to look over the boards for a little while uh so yeah we were really keen to get him on we wanted to learn about how and where apple tree came from and his background uh where they are now and where they're going in the future i guess as well uh and also uh, we wanted to kind of delve especially liam with with his background in engineering but we wanted to delve into the production processes that that vega and his team use at apple tree um the reason i guess they've become so popular over the last few years is because they are now on bulletproof uh they use a high density foam doesn't soak up any water the everything is just super duper strong uh full carbon um re- full carbon production basically and it's all done in portugal so it's quite a unique company it's a very interesting company and we wanted to sort of sit down and ask him a few more questions behind his thoughts behind it uh it's also quite cool to hear what he's got coming up in the future uh board wise he's got a new range of boards coming this year so he chats a little bit more about that um uh later on again i appreciate this is a reasonably long uh, episode an hour 50 ish uh, I think James Casey's episode was our longest to date at just over two hours and we were a bit nervous that we were a bit too long. Let us know. Let us know what you think. If you want us to keep them down to an hour or if you want the interviews to be a little bit longer, it's really hard to do the interview or do have a chat with someone that you're actually really getting on with, chatting about something that you really enjoy doing and also trying to keep like a time scale on it as well. I find it's, it's quite a difficult one. Like We try to wind things down, but... I also, at the same time, want the, the the conversation to continue. So if you've got a real issue with it, give us a shout. Let us know. We'll try and shorten them if we need if we need to. I'm just conscious my friends that maybe don't have as much interest in foiling obviously get a little bit more bored, obviously. But it does seem like most people listen to the longer interviews. I don't know. If you've got any thoughts, let us know, as always. We're all over Instagram and Facebook. Generic Foiling Podcast there. Uh, I think it's the Generic Foiling Podcast pod at gmail.com if you want to email us anything privately through there but yeah we'll chat we'll chat away we're always online we're always on instagram facebook and all that sort of jazz so give us a shout and let us know otherwise yeah i hope you enjoy the podcast i hope you enjoy the interview vega's a great guy have a look at his boards if you don't know them already um and yeah we'll see you again very soon cheers there you go right freddy should we kick off then well, I thought we've already kicked off. We're already oh, we kicked off. All right, well, fair <laughs> enough. We're, we're off. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, Vega, Vega, and I have had some chats before, so I, I know a little bit about Vega. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, Apple Tree is obviously a brand that has kind of been 
around for a few years now, but is still capturing quite a few people's interest uh, over here in the UK and hopefully abroad as well, looking at the, mm-hmm. the te- team list that you're getting up. You look to have come from the kite surf side of things and then progressed into the wing stuff. Um, so it'd be cool to know a little bit about the beginnings yeah, uh, sure. and, and who you are. We obviously know now after a 20 minute rant about the Netherlands where you're from, <laughs> um, but, but it'd be cool to know. Yeah. A little bit more about yeah, you and then, and then sure how thing. Apple Tree started as well. Yeah. Cool. Sure thing. Go for uh, it. So yeah, Apple Tree, I started, I started Apple Tree surfboards for uh, years ago, really, really long time ago, like maybe 20 years ago as a, just I was interested in making stuff um in general so uh, i was like oh i can make a surfboard probably uh couldn't find back then couldn't find any materials to like i couldn't find blanks i couldn't find i could but i could had to get them from france or from the uk which was very tricky back then so i just started looking around locally to find stuff that i could build surfboards from so of course i could get some epoxy resin, some fiberglass, and some foam that was like uh, locally available. So the first boards I made were like super yellow with like boats, epoxy, that sort of stuff, just in my uh, in my back garden or at my parents' back garden actually back then. Um, so yeah, just did that for a really long time. I bought big blocks of EPS, and then I had a made my own hot wire cutter and cut them into slabs or into blanks. Put some rocker in there made them into surfboards for myself or my brother for some local friends, you know, the way everyone starts. This is strictly surfboards, I take it, as well at this point. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, I was also just surfing. I mean, it was pre-foiling, pre-everything. Kiting was around, but I wasn't kiting yet. Um, Did that for a couple of years. Got reasonably good at making surfboards and also started experimenting a little bit with like vacuum pressing which was very early days for that sort of tech um where we just like basically did a wet layup so put the fibers on the board on the eps core and then put it in a in a vacuum bag and pull the vacuum to press down the fiber uh onto the core to get a better a connection with the core and also lower um, resin content to make the board lighter and stronger. And then sort of <clears throat> kept being interested in the technical side of board building. So we kept evolving. And around that time, my brother finished his studies and he uh, he was an intern at Mystic, the accessories brand everyone knows. Uh, they are also from the Netherlands. They are headquarters super close to uh, where we are. And um, he was doing harness design and wetsuit design for them. And he got into kite surfing as a extension of surfing, which was growing quickly, especially in the Netherlands, because it's such a, like, we have shitty waves. It's usually windy. So, you know, grab a kite to go with it and make it fun. Um, so he was doing that. And then he came back like, uh, everyone's breaking all these boards. They're terrible. They try to kite on normal surfboards. Can we try and make something stronger? So that's sort of when we, when I started doing some kite boards for them and then started kiting myself. And then my brother sort of joined in uh, doing the boards, helping with sanding. We did like, you know, maybe 20 boards a year or something like that. Um, and then we sat together and we were like, can we do this a bit more seriously? And he had a friend and that friend said, like, yeah, I can probably build you guys a CNC machine. 
because I build a I, I build a 3D printer so I can do the same because the 3D printer or CNC is basically roughly the same machine, it's just the other way around. You remove instead of you add. So, but they needed money. I had a pretty good job back then. So I was like, okay, I'll put up the money if you guys put in the time, make the machine, and then we own the CNC machine, which took about a year for them to put together the CNC machine. Uh, and but it actually made it work. So that was super cool. Though so then we all of a sudden we had a CNC machine, which was pretty sick that you could do designs on the computer now and repeat and do the same design over and over again. And what uh, sort of what sort of year is that then? Hmm. Must have been like twelve years ago, I think. Something was like that, that. And again, complete no idea about board design at all. Liam, yourself, CNC machines. Is that was that much of a done thing back then? For the size of the business that you I were, I mean, people people have been making, yeah. I mean, people have been making CNC machines for, for forever, haven't they? But yeah, how many people in the board industry were using it at that point? I don't know. Quite a few, actually, but it was mainly the bigger bigger brands that really got into CNC machining. Um, but you know, trying to learn. Well, the other thing is, you know, try to become a serious board building brand from the Netherlands you're never gonna if you go to France like you know everyone has their own shaper in their own little town and you know you're never gonna you know no one's ever gonna buy your boards whilst if you come in as a kite brand with the Netherlands has got a really high reputation for kiter like a lot of pro kiters good brands come from the Netherlands it makes sense you know people listen instead of like oh there's that guy from the Netherlands and we and we move on so it was a good sort of you know, everything sort of clicked together at the same time. Uh, yeah, and the CNC is just necessary to do repeated, repeated things. You know, you can, if you do hand shaping, I think you, you have to do thousands of boards. The only way to get really good is to do an internship for a, for a good brand and, you know, get to know the trade and do board after board after board after board and get extremely good at it. And I could do, I can still do fairly good shapes, but I'm not a sort of you know rockers and stuff you need templates you need all that stuff and cnc just you know, like takes all of all of the guesswork out plus you can do the same shape of different constructions you can tweak like tiny things and make prototypes quicker so it makes total sense to to have the cnc um and actually at that time we started experimenting more with more composite materials with more different fibers all sorts of stuff we've tried we got some really good contacts, mainly from like the windmill industry, because uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of money being invested in that industry into lighter materials, stiffer materials, more durable materials, because there is a lot of money to be made uh, to make windmills more efficient. So we could sort of, uh, you know, uh, join in on that, and we got some some prototype stuff. We tried all sorts of stuff. You know, if you go to a big composite fair which there's fair fair few of in paris and in germany and they're like massive companies doing extreme amounts of windmill stuff or or boats or race cars and all that stuff they kind of like a couple of young guys doing surfboards so we were welcomed everywhere quite which was really nice you know they were all like oh yeah sure we'll send you some samples you can use some of it or you can you can come to our lab and do some testing and then a guy actually said, like, well, maybe you can do some, we can try to do a resin infusion on a surfboard. And this guy sort of helped us with the early stages, uh, but we never really made it work. I'll explain later exactly what it is, but we could never really make it work. And we got it back to our own sort of lab and still in the back garden. 
and we started experimenting hmm. with this infusion process and and then it sort of clicked and we got it to work uh, and that sort of snowballed into hey if we can do this we can do we can use different types of foam we can do use different types of uh, in uh, like uh, uh, <coughs> composite materials or sandwich materials or honeycombs that are uh, impossible to use with a hand layup or a vacuum pressing technique. Uh, so it's sort of that snowballed really quickly into when hey, just just to interject in this story just for, cool. whilst I think about it. So at this point, you you've you've put down a bit, you know, and I I know from like I. I'm midway through building like a tiny, tiny little CNC myself. And that has a cost. I know that the size that is required to build a board, even to build it yourself, you know, linear rails are expensive. Yep. Everything that you need is expensive. So you put some money in there. Is Apple Tree making anything? Is it covering its cost at this point? Like when you, right now. you talk about oh, going, yeah. no, no, not, not now, but back, but then, back then, no. when, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, not at all. But I had a really and good even, job, so it was fine. It, so it was just even when you were messing around with the infusion techniques and stuff, it was yeah. still just a hobby project that you're putting money into. Yeah, exactly. Quite a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> it was. We. Uh, I've been on the point of of quitting a lot of times back then because just like every every full scale test that we ran had like two fifty, three hundred euros worth of stuff in there in resin in fiber in core and mm. everything plus a lot of hours so every time it failed it failed like it was beyond repair it was like half injected and then it failed or it it imploded or it you know and are, you, are you were you still working full-time yeah. at this point yeah i was a i used to be a freelance chef so i was quite flexible in my work so i used to rock up when when shit hit the fan in big restaurants or, or catering jobs. So I had a lot of work around Christmas, New Year's, and then I had a couple of months of very slow work, but my money, but the money was good. So I had, you know, I had time and, and I had some money to invest into, into this. Well, that's cool, Liam, because at least we know we're going to get fed well when we go for our trip down to <laughs> Portugal. Absolutely, that's for yeah. sure. You're going to get fed well anyway when you come to Portugal. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, so yeah, you know, that's that's sort of where we, uh, we sort of had that eureka moment. And then my brother and I sat together and we're like, <clears throat> shall we go and try to do it professionally? And I still had the job. So I was like, yeah, let's let's try. Let's just rent a place so we can be a bit more professional than at, at, in our parents' back garden. Um, and, and I was like, we found this place and it was relatively cheap near the Hague and we could share it with the guys from Liwa boards. They make really cool custom twin tips for kiting. And they were also at the same point where they were in a, in a basement somewhere and they also needed to move up and they, their brand also started going. So it was a really good synergy with those guys. We just said like, hey, let's just rent this place. It's only for a couple of years. If, if it's really shit, we have a big storage area where we'll find someone to, who can use it or, or, you know, rent it off us. So it, it's okay. We're just gonna, you have to have to gamble sometimes. Uh, so we got in there, set it up properly, moved the CNC, build a better lamb room, better hot coating room, build a better shaping bay, have more space. Uh, we could invest a little bit more in more stock and foam and fiberglass and that sort of stuff. And we had our first sort of demo event with the kite boards in the Netherlands during a small uh, kite event. And what year would that have been? 
I think about eight years ago, something like that. Not that long, seven, eight years. Yeah, something like that. 2015. Uh, Yeah, I think roughly there. Uh, And we were placed on the event next to a guy who was importing the kite brand from Ben Wilson, the Australian wave kites. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And they were looking for a board producer. And they were had samples from a guy in Mexico, and it was all terrible, and it was just all PU, hmm. and they put some extra fiberglass over the PU polyester board, but it was fairly shit. And he he saw our boards and was like, "Yeah, maybe we should make a sample, you know, do a, do a sample, see what it what it does." And we um, we made them a sample of the model that they were working on back then, the Stallion, which is gotten into sort of a cult board. At the- after after but this was the first one we made and they send them to uh to one of their team riders and he was just blown away by the by the board by the durability and the construction and uh sort of said okay we're gonna start producing with you and we're like wow fuck we've got no production we've just got how much can you make like yeah we can do maybe like three boards a week if we really push it uh, so yeah but they were good they were they were cool they were like yeah okay let's start with that and then we'll just see how we sell them or direct or to shops or whatever and we started making boards for them and um, at the same time doing our own designs learning from them learning from their team and sort of that snowballed fairly quickly into uh, into doing quite a lot of boards so we think we were running like 10 15 boards a week 20 boards a week we hired our first guy who's still working for us. He's still our production manager now. Uh, hired another of our friends, started working. One of my other younger brother came in to send boards. Everyone was just helping along to just get this thing going. Um, yeah, and that sort of kickstarted the whole thing for us. And then after three years, two and a half, three years in this place in uh, near The Hague, it was getting too small. We really needed more space and we really needed staffing. And that was a big, big issue for us because getting people to do like this production work in in the Netherlands is uh, is impossible. Like there's no, it's so hard to find people to do like factory work. And it is quite- well, Especially near The Hague. Yeah, exactly. That's where that location would really suck yeah. actually, I guess. Yeah. Because there's definitely yeah. that labor around, but not around The Hague. Yeah, and it's, but it's still hard, you know, salaries are really high, but also like, you know, you're going to attract people that are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to work in a, in a surfboard factory. That's super cool. I'm going to work in a surfboard factory. But after two weeks, they realize that it's a lot of sanding and you're walking around with masks on and, hand, and you know, headphones and everything. <clears throat> and it's actually hot and it's sweaty and it's itchy and it's not very nice. And after two weeks, they're like, yeah, I want to do something else or I quit. And, you know, the, the good guys, I always say the good guys working for us are guys that have been working for us three, four, five years. Those are the guys who don't make mistakes sanding. Like they're super consistent. They're, it's, a, it's only a very thin line between sanding through your laminate uh, and like doing a proper job and, 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 and cutting a nice rail. So, you know, it's, you need guys that want to stay with you. Uh, so again, we sat together. I was like, well, what are we going to do? And, and the, the, you know, obviously the decision eventually was Portugal. So we, uh, we uh, packed everything and we put it in a truck and we moved it to Portugal. We rented a place here and we built a new factory here in, here in Portugal. And that's been six, cheers, six years now, I think, uh, five years now. And again, after two and a half, three years, we filled up that factory uh so this year or last year we 
actually invested again. We bought our own factory. So we now have a massive building, uh, which is with the extra floor that we put in. It's three and a half thousand square meters of factory space. So why uh, why why Portugal? <clears throat> is it is it cheaper there? Is is uh, wages cheaper or something or what? It's it's a combination of of those things. Um, EU is quite nice. I know you Brits are uh, <laughs> said goodbye to it, but it actually works pretty well. Because we could just set up a company wherever in EU fairly easy. Uh, Portugal, mainly because you also want to be in a place where it's just nice to live. You know, it's super nice here. The weather is good. There's super good waves nearby. So we can do testing and everything close by. Uh, people are willing to move here. Also from the Netherlands, people who still work for us are all willing. We're all willing to move here. Uh, only one guy actually moved back to the Netherlands. Everyone else still with us. Uh, wages here are definitely lower but not extremely low like nothing compared to asia and also it's a very well organized country there's taxes are quite high so you gotta you know people are well taken care of so it but especially there is people here that all are willing to do the work i spoke to our production manager today we're looking for three new people and he said i put up the ad yesterday and i got 26 replies within 24 hours which is really good you know for for manual labor job it's it's really good so that's why we're here the other option was like poland uh, romania hungary that sort of direction it's cold and, you know it's cold it's not good for curing epoxy it's not there's no ocean <laughs> it's not very nice so that's the whole that's the whole explanation of going to portugal portugal's got a really really nice culture they're very welcoming even though here especially in the Irasaira area which has been like it's been overtaken by experts. There's so many people here buying houses, really driving up the prices. So not all, not everyone is happy with all the expats that are just here doing remote jobs. They're not adding anything to the local economy. I was going to say, at least you're you're actually a contributor to the community. As soon as we explain that, they're like, "Oh no, but we're yeah, we're not talking about you. You know, it's you're super welcome. <laughs> you you employ like twenty Portuguese people and 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 paying them uh, a fair a fair wage." So. You know they're 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 quite happy with us. So, and, and in general, the Portuguese people are super nice. It's just a really really nice place to be. So yeah, it made total sense to be here. How long did you're not there all year though, are you? Me so no. How so does I, your how does your year look? So I am uh, basically now the the sort of brand manager, CEO, call it whatever. Um, so I do the sales marketing together with marketing manager from the Netherlands. Uh, because most of the sales are still Northern Europe, well, also US, but Northern Europe. So it makes sense to be in the Netherlands close to everything. You know, it would, wouldn't make sense to drive six times a year from, from Portugal to North Germany, Sweden, UK, Netherlands, Belgium, that stuff. So that's why we're here. My Joret, my brother, moved here. So he lives here. We have a third partner since a few years that also lives here. They run the factory. Together with Jeroen, the the brand the uh, factory manager who was the first guy that we hired, so he's still here. He's got a kid now and a wife. He's married. He's got his house here, and uh, and a couple of other Dutch guys. And then the rest are all all hands, mostly Portuguese, but Brazilian. Of course, lots of Brazilians here. Uh, got a Ukrainian guy and an Indian guy. So it's all kinds. It all sounds like it's escalated fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not. Oh, it's, like, it's not a long time ago, is it? No, literally like seven, eight years ago, we were still in the shed 
what I what I was really curious about is I've been aware of your brand for a long time when it was just the kite surfboards, but never really seen many up close in person. Um, and I guess part of that is there's not really that many people wave riding at my home spot because we don't get regular waves or anything. But I also would have perceived from the outside that foiling has really blown up your business even yeah. more. Yeah. Now, yeah. how much percentage-wise of your business is foil boards nowadays versus the kite surfboards? And has your passion gone with that? Or, you know, is your passion still spread evenly? Foiling for us has been, yeah, a godsend, basically. Like, it's... Our yeah. construction is extremely suited for foil boards. It's really stiff. It's we can control flex and strength to the extreme way better than than most others. We can calculate how strong stuff is or how stiff stuff is. So it it just lends itself perfectly for foiling. So the first kite foil boards we made fairly early already when kite foiling was just sort of slowly coming in. Uh, and they worked really well. So we jumped straight onto surf foiling and then quite quickly onto wing foiling as well. And now now waiting everything. My my impression is you you are passionate about it. The conversations that we've had. So we met uh what the Armada two yeah. years ago now. You're obviously a kiter, you're obviously a surfer, you surf foil. I've seen you wing foil, I've been wing foiling with you at the Armada. So you've obviously done quite a bit of it, which yeah. is awesome from a you know, when, from an outsider looking into a brand, if the, the head honcho there is actually doing all of this stuff, you know, it's it's always really good. What, where, yeah, I guess adding on to Liam, uh, what he was saying, where where and what do you do when? You know, are you doing all of it? Do you prioritise some yeah. of it? Do you love surf foiling as much as me and Liam? That's uh, a problem. <laughs> and so that's, that's the, uh, I don't have time to do everything, but I I I feel that I need to be able to do most of it to some level, I'm not a, amazing in anything, but um, I want to be able to do everything that we make, basically. But it's hard, you know. So I try to sort of, like right now, I'm actually surfing quite a lot again because the waves here have been firing for the last three weeks. It's offshore every day. Today was a bit big, but last week we have like overhead and a bit barrels left and right. It was so good. You're like, you don't even want to get close to a foil. It was so and you, do you surf? Do you surf your surfboards? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I know yeah. you've got on the website. I've seen your. Yeah. You do have some boards on there, but I didn't know surf, how much. It's very, very small. Surfboards for us, it's it's a different story. But surfboards is just it's super competitive. Like we can't compete to here in Portugal. We can get a board for under five hundred euros. It's insane. We can never compete with that. So surfboards for us, something we do on the side for ourselves. We make amazing surfboards. They're really strong. They're really they surf really well, but it's just it's it's very very small business side for us. But we make boards for ourselves and for the local guys and for the for the factory crew and for some some people who really like our boards. Um, but yeah, again, like I try to do everything. So I try to what I do is like when it, when the wind's really light, I tend to kite foil with like a foil kite. I've got a, a a hyperlink which is really good for that. So I'm almost always foil kite. Then when it gets a bit stronger. Uh, I'll try to wing up to like uh, I don't really like winging when it's really light and also really 
don't really like it when it's really strong. So there's this this window for winging, and then above that, it's usually kiting. But then also, of course, the waves. And then depending on the location, so I spent most of my time in the Netherlands or or traveling around to events. So that's a lot of winging and a lot of kiting. Then we always try to spend a couple of weeks in Cape Town, where winging is definitely possible, but it's not ideal because it's a lot of shore break and it's like it's, the waves are not ideal. So I do a lot of kiting there, and then. You know, try to sort of move it around. And when there's no wind, uh, surf foiling. So a lot of surf foiling in the Netherlands. It's like so good for surf foiling. It's not very good for surfing, but for surf foiling is is ideal. I've never been, I've never had this many sessions as the last two years in surf, two three years in surf foiling. It's like you can almost almost go every day, which is really good. Maybe we need to sack Bantham off Liam and go go to the Netherlands. Just dial it in there. You reckon? Yeah. Yeah. Although I must say I've had some some of the best surf foiling waves in the UK as well. It was two years ago. It was such a good like. There's such good places like compared to France, like the whole Atlantic coast of France. In Brittany and Normandy, there's some good spots, but if you go further down south, so many shore breaks, so many heavy waves, it's not not ideal. I think UK and Holland, and I hear the same thing like Denmark, Sweden. Uh, those places had the best, the best, like the, the 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 shitty places for surfing, but where people still surf, they're all diving into the into foiling. And in France, it's yeah, even in the Mediterranean, people are surf foiling. But in in Biarritz or something, there's a few here and there, but not many. Again, it's the it's same bit. thing. And if you've got good conditions, why would you why would you do any? If you've got good conditions for surfing, why would you do anything yeah. but surfing? Well, it's the same here in Portugal. Everyone's interested. We get a lot of people asking about our foils when we walk up the beach. But like, it's, it's expensive, and it, it's not really for here. There's, there's not many days here on the other side with all the reefs and all the all the fairly heavy spots. It's not ideal. Although yeah, their spots are always. So if if foiling was to just disappear completely right now if that market magically disappeared would one you carry on with the business and two would your current setup be totally overkill and you'd like have to the point where you'd have to scale back uh well we bought the factory so we can't really scale back so we're <laughs> sort of stuck there i'm hoping it doesn't magically disappear um we we have a second thing that we are trying to get as much uh production back from Asia to Europe. Um, so we also produce for other brands. Um, who? At the moment, we produce for all the boards for Levitas foils, for cold, cold boards in Germany. Um, Do you make theirs a little bit more shit than yours? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and there's and then there's a there's like a few more coming that I can't say officially uh, yet because it's up to the brands to uh, to make that known for the world. And we've got a lot of things lined up. COVID has been amazing for us. You know, the supply chain crisis and everything from Asia dropping uh, was really good for us because everyone came to us. Can, can you at least produce something because the demand is so high? So we've got a lot of new clients and there. Now, like we're, of course, we're more expensive than Asia, but the quality of the product, the amount of uh, warranties, the, you know, we can produce smaller amounts. We're already in Europe. There's no importing. There's no waiting for containers. We can ship yeah. small amounts all over Europe. So we, we basically ship three times a week. Usually we ship out boards instead of 
filling a full container with like 300 boards and then waiting for the whole thing to fill and then ship 300 out and then do the whole cycle again. We've got this continuous cycle, which is really good for a lot of brands. Not for all brands, because some brands just rely on that yearly routine of getting two containers, sell the containers, get two more, you know, get a new model out every year because you've got that cycle of, of stuff coming in. We don't have to do any of that. We can just go with whatever is like the trend or even like make the trend ourselves because we can invent new stuff and, and experiment with new stuff really quickly. And that's interesting for other brands as well. That tends they, to be popular in, in the foil side of things, though, doesn't well, it? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, especially in foiling, because it's such a super quick developing sport, like a two-year-old foil. And, and grab your foil from two years ago, and it's it's already outdated. It's, it's you know, so if you if you can't do that, it will eventually it will settle, but right now it's going in so many different directions. So we can really take advantage of that. So yeah, we've got that on the side on the side as well, and that's growing really fast. So I don't think we really have to shut down if foiling completely dies. We can then we could maybe we can make subs, we can make kite boards, we can we could make more surfboards if we wanted to. So we could even make foils. Uh, you know, we can we can make a lot of stuff. So I don't, we I'm sure we'll find a way. We've we've been almost uh dragged under by brands all of a sudden putting in plug like again for instance where we started with van wilson dws brand they in, in in the beginning of the COVID crisis they pulled the plug on the whole brand so they stopped the whole brand uh and because it's not our brand we're just their producer we're not informed all the way so for us it was kind of like out of the blue they called us and like okay no, we're gonna way. quit the whole production which almost dragged us under because we were doing a lot of boards for them and we we're not doing that many boards for ourselves and we didn't have other uh, clients that we were building from. So did you end up sat on their stock that they didn't pay for? And no, that no, yeah, maybe ten boards or something. Like not a lot. Luckily not. Luckily not. But we already sort of felt it coming because it was going down quite quite a bit already. And then COVID was just a, like yeah, it's just a. The nail in the coffin, so to say. It was like for them, they were just too scared. Like remember, like in the end, COVID was really good for the whole outdoor industry because it completely exploded. But a lot of people forget that the first few months were super scary. You know, everyone yeah. had to stay home. There were no one was allowed out. Orders were cancelled. Shops were closed. So all our orders were like the the, the even the, the the shipping companies wouldn't pick up stuff at some point. So. That was the first couple of months was really scary. And then in order to start started to go, you know, and then when it's then it was went completely crazy. Uh, but a lot of yeah, like BWS took took the decision in straight in the beginning, like okay, poof, this is it, we're gonna quit. So yeah. You need was, to um with regards to like you doing production for other brands, you gotta tell us off the record like who's the most annoying brand where they're like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we totally we totally understand your value proposition and your manufacturing in Europe and blah, 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 but like we need it cheaper. We need it cheaper. Yeah. yeah. Well I'm sure but, there's I'm sure there's a couple. There is, there is, but you know, we also try we don't work with everyone and we also don't like we refused a few already. And oh who who definitely got oh. to refuse more. <laughs> Well, 
No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but we have refused, for instance, a brand that came to us and asked, can you produce something, but we're not going to stay with you. As soon as this COVID crisis is over, we're going to move back to Asia. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, you can because, see you can see that's pointless yeah. from your eyes. And then we're like, why on earth would we help you out? <clears throat> like, why? If you don't believe in what we stand for, which is like quality sustainable sustainably made we pay our workers well we try like we try a lot of extra steps to 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 be more sustainable mainly by making the board stronger but also by using like recycled materials recyclable materials uh bio-based resins all that sort of stuff if you don't believe in that and you're not willing to pay for it you, there's no place for you in our in our factory as i keep saying to liam if they're not willing to scratch your balls why would you want to scratch yeah. their balls yeah. exactly yeah and then, you know, again, we don't need someone to order 300 boards and then fill the container. We are okay with like 50 now and then this many then. And, you know, that's that's actually better for us because it gives us... You wait, you wait for the generic foiling podcast probe model. We'd <laughs> like two, please. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> and, well, well, but, we... there's, but there's loads of orders coming. There's loads of orders yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah. But we can still and we want it. it. And we want it cheaper. We want yeah. it cheaper. It needs <laughs> to be cheaper. Uh, it, will, it will probably start more expensive. <laughs> but yeah, um, no. Touching on what Liam asked a while ago, what would you what would you say percentage wise then? Sur- kite surfboards uh, to, to foiling stuff now is about 80, 75 percent of what we do has a foil box. Yeah, wow, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And within 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 the yeah, within that then, uh wing boards, prone boards, kite boards, rough percentages. Is it is it predominantly wing? Yeah, it's predominantly or, wing. Yeah. Again, I guess prone. Northern, Northern Europe is Wing yeah. Central in that, I guess. U- US as well. US is actually growing. The whole market in the US is growing really quickly because of winging. Kiting has always been a super, like more exclusive kind of sport in, in the US. If you go to real water sports, for instance, and you take kite lessons, you get one-on-one. as an instructor on a jet ski next to you giving you tips. It's very, very different. It's really expensive and it's really sort of elite. And the winging has opened up. And you, you got to remember in the, U, in the US, there's gazillion lakes. It's insane. So where kiting is not so easy, there's so many lakes and a lot of people getting into winging. I think I think Ozone, just as a random fact, I think Ozone in the first year of the Wasp said that like Switzerland was their biggest selling we sell pla- a lot in, place we for sell, the Wasp. We sell a lot in Switzerland as well. Bonk, yeah. Bonk, isn't it? So that's the, that's the new thing that opens up. Switzerland, mm-hmm. Austria... You know, all well, again, all, all all these spots, like you said previously, yeah. if we keep that first bit of the conversation about the Netherlands in, uh, mm-hmm. you've got all these lakes that you can windsurf on, yeah. but you've never you've never been able to kite surf on, no. and no, suddenly, you can yeah. you can, well, the you can win are pretty pretty good at kiting on some freaking <laughs> sketchy spots immediately adjacent <laughs> to highways. Yeah, but it's it's not allowed in most spots, so it will only be for a select few. Uh, and and the winging, you know, interesting winging. A lot of people who don't dare to go kite, they they do want to go wing. So that's, that's my question with with a lot of that stuff because there's obviously there's no rules for winging yet. We know we can go most places. I know the spot in the South Hams that Rich wings at quite a lot. You're not allowed to windsurf there. You're not allowed to kite surf there. Not even winter. I'm fairly sure it's no windsurfing. Mm. It, but. There are no rules at the minute for winging, but it, it's it's going to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> There's definitely going to be times or places that are going to get banned for winging eventually. Yeah. Uh, I just wonder where that's 
where that's going to come in. Because uh, yeah. at, the, at the minute we're riding everywhere because we're allowed to, but we're only allowed to because the sport didn't exist. Yeah. Well, two, two or three years the ago. reasons why karting is not allowed in a lot of sports, like in the Netherlands, they, they make put, sense. They make sense. You know, this for the birds or it makes noise and they you scare them away. With winging, it's not so much. It's not really dangerous. There's it doesn't matter if there's trees, you know. So I the fish really are a greater see... danger with the foiling. Than yeah, the definitely. With the karting. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, so uh, I think I think we'll be fine. I'm not too worried. And in the Netherlands, I'm not too worried. I haven't heard of anyone sort of being against winging. Yeah. Like if you compare it back to like the 80s when when everybody was windsurfing, there were hundreds and hundreds of windsurfers on all of these boats. So we're never we're, we've got a long ways to go before we're there. You know, before we're on that level of the amount of windsurfers that we had in the Netherlands in in the 80s. So. How um slight skew of the conversation, but not quite. How is surf foiling seen in the spots uh, where you surf in in either the Netherlands or if you have been out in Portugal as well? How's how's it seen by the surfers? Do they accept it or do they not? Depends a bit. Uh, in the Netherlands, I was expecting it to be to grow quicker than it did. It re- it it went up really quickly, and then it sort of leveled off. So we because you had you had a catalyst. We had that first initial people that told yeah. everybody that this is impossibly hard. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's and and then also surfers are uh, cheapskates and foils are expensive. So that's you know, I mean that's the the main reason in the Netherlands at least like that people are don't want to go. They are interested, but they're as soon as they hear the price, they're like fuck that. Um, I'll buy a secondhand longboard. Um, in the Netherlands, we have a fairly high community. We organized the Open Dutch Championship twice already ourselves, which was super fun. It's just a group of friends. I think with surf boiling, it's it's way more suited to like groups. We go out with a couple of guys always because you know you know you can you can take off with three or four guys on the same wave and all have fun. And with surfing, it's not. It's way more uh, everyone for themselves fighting for the good spot. So it's more like the early days of surfing in the Netherlands, I guess, where it was cool to meet other people that are doing the same thing. Uh, and we try, like, for instance, we wing, we surf oil a lot in Vikensee, which is the closest to Amsterdam, which is also a really busy surf spot. And it's it's got this big harbor wall and the waves are generally the cleanest close to the harbor wall all the way into the corner. We basically don't foil there just to be, you know, don't be assholes. So we foil one parking lot to the north where there's way less people and then we find our own peak and then if people decide to paddle out exactly where we are then it's their problem so we try not to and then a few really good guys who were really good surfers and well-respected surfers got into foiling so that really helped so they are like telling everyone no it's not dangerous we're good you know we 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 will we will be careful we don't sit close to you we won't drop in on you that sort of stuff and that really helped and then in the netherlands the we have uh, Tobias, a good friend of mine, he's the owner of the surfwear.nl. Again, it's the guy that was uh, on the that w- did the walk of shame on the island. Um, he, everyone knows him because his website is the surf forecasting site in the Netherlands, and everybody knows him. And he's a, he doesn't basically almost doesn't surf anymore. He's a super keen foiler, so he now includes foiling in his surf weather the SMS update and online updates uh so that really helps just in acceptance and there's always a discussion you know there's always the classic discussions like these guys are riding with samurai swords under their board you know la da da 
but you're right the more people the more people of uh, of influence that ride them this is yeah. kind of i keep i keep talking about john john with Lou, uh, with liam and yeah. um it, it's a shame that there isn't more footage of him riding and showing yeah. quite how much that that fraternity of top end surfers is actually foiling that we hear of supposedly mm-hmm. yeah if if they were to come out of the closet and say i'm a foiler yeah it, it would <laughs> it would yeah. it would it would do wonders for the foiling I think community so. wouldn't it i, am I think allowed so. in. but apparently think... from a sponsor's point of view they don't talk about it because they're not sponsored by these guys i don't know well as um, far as i as far as i know and I, I i i could ask again because we've got some dealers in hawaii and i know a lot of people uh in the surfing industry uh as far as I, i'm aware they're still foiling quite a lot as well um but it was on their socials for a bit and as you say it completely like it's gone yeah. so yeah Probably it's the sponsor saying like, yeah, we're not paying you to do this. So yeah, yeah. that's the problem, I suppose, when you've got big, big money. Yeah, with the amount of money that goes into surfing, again, it's like surfing is still so much bigger. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's uh, that that's where uh, mm-hmm. at least some of the money is. It's still not a lot of money, but there's at least some money. So yeah, I guess that's it. But here in Portugal, it's actually they're quite cool with foiling uh like most of the spots are not very good for foiling so we're not really in in other people's way uh a lot of people asking you know we've been talking to some local shops as well They're like well, let's just put a foil in the display see what it does you know see what what the buzz is about we might we might do it at some point they're still uh they're still not not biting yet but we'll see they're they're pretty core cool, you know it's a talking point though isn't it, for a lot yeah. of the shops yeah but like <clears throat> you gotta like think about when when Wave SUB came in, there's not many surf shops, especially not core surf shops here or in France, or who got into SUB. Most of the shops still see that as a different. They're they're not doing it. We do surf, like we don't we don't even do bodyboard. Like we do surf. That's it. Uh, we don't do SUB. We don't do windsurfing, kite surfing. None of it. So why would they go into boiling now? It's it's sort yeah. of doesn't really make sense. It opens I up. I feel I feel like there's a few more questions around it. I I've just come to mind when I, I chat to boardshop.co.uk, which is one of Europe's biggest surf uh, retailers mm-hmm. now uh, of specific hardware. Every time I talk to Ian there, he always asks about foils. They don't yeah. want to sell them. They're not going to sell them. I don't think he's ever used one, but every single time I speak to him, which is usually trying to get him to pay his bills, uh, <laughs> um, he asks about foiling. It's yeah. obviously it's, it's obviously on everyone's minds and he's probably in a position to be able to know that a lot of these guys who he's selling surfboards for are foiling as well Um, so there is interest there which is which is cool yeah there is and of course there's a couple of brands like Pizel made a few foil boards uh Mm. you know uh who's um what's JS JS have got foil boards now haven't they Mr Bennett's foil boards so that's they've obviously done a lot they got balls deep in that haven't they he's actually being paid by them so he's yeah. sponsored sponsored by JS, but how much? <laughs> I would not know. Not that was exactly not I, much. I, I've just had a question I, with a few people over the last few months. People wanting to get paid at the highest level of foiling. The highest level of foiling is still not going to be that much money, no. is it? No. I mean, we, what are we making out of this, Freddie? It's like 150 grand now or something. Yeah. So yeah. they're not going to get. Definitely. They're not going to. 
Yeah, they're not going to get much. No, they're not going to get much more than that, are they? They need to start a podcast as well because they're not going to get that paid that much. Yeah, yeah. No, I want to. I want to bring it on, if I may, to to design. I mean, I'm aware of the time that this is going to end up. I'd like to bring it on to sort of design and construction, seeing as we've got you. Yeah, same. Um, and I'm pretty excited to ask a lot of these questions. Um, he's got a nice list, Vega. He's got a nice list. No, I was, I was, I was, I was was organically, I was organically letting it uh, wind down to the point where I could go and go via the avenue of money. Yeah. Um, So, first thing, when in terms of design, I'm curious with your brand, where the design decisions um, are influenced by, like. How is the focus split between high-level rider feedback and like your, you know, your team effectively, mm-hmm. and then public demand? Because I feel like in foiling, the foilers themselves, the actual customers, are quite vocal at the minute, and yeah. are almost telling brands like, "We want this." Yeah. Um, it really. A, a lot come from, comes from ourselves because we are quite good at feeling what works and what doesn't. Um, so me, my brother, and, and some other guys. On the team, there's people who are really good ex- at expressing how they feel and what they would like to have differently. And then there's a lot that just like, yeah, that works good. So, you know, you know they're, they're there for <laughs> just creating content and footage. And then there's guys that's, who really... That's, that's and, me. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard. I mean, it's with any sport, I guess. Like, there's always people who can who can, who can tune a kite and people who just get given one and then ride it. Uh, and, and those guys can be... Like Dylan Wichman, for instance, is really good at expressing how he feels and, and what he likes and what he doesn't. It's a bit of a shame that he's in Cape Town, so it's expensive to get prototypes to him back and forth, but we try to do as much as possible. He's really good. And most of the other guys, like there's there's a few ambassador riders actually are not even pro riders who are really good at expressing what they like. So we have them a bit more involved. Um, but to your question, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, especially, for instance, our first wingboard, we had quite that big sort of cutout on the tail, which we didn't really want to do because we didn't really believe in it but we did it because everybody demanded it and it was just literally like yeah this board is nice but if you put a cutout in the deal it would be amazing um and then the next year you know and that then thing, the, next the, the, year, the main premise the thing that we exactly. were selling you this people, for, we're going to get rid of it completely and yeah. do the polar opposite now people were people were actually filling up or i've seen images uh, online yes. with people filling up their gut yeah. because they were convinced that it was slowing them down so yeah that's one of the things that for us it was like we our first boards didn't have the cutout and they worked equally well if not better but because everyone was like we need this cutout to put it in <laughs> so that's definitely an example of something that's uh yeah <laughs> that was was audience driven um i mean you can go completely crazy and do your own thing and completely like be convinced that it's the best thing ever but if no one wants to buy it you can't make business so it's it's always on the back of your mind it's always has you know 
it's just how it is. It's the same. A good example is like the 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 the, the H one H two series fins from FCS. Remember those like silvery tuna fin like fins they were introduced as like like science driven this and that never really sold like people always go back to what they like so you know yeah it's it's like that and there's still a few here there's a few do you, do, out do you sometimes so. do you sometimes see some of the big name brands release a product and you go damn it i know that's gonna start a trend fuck's sake <laughs> uh, not, it's definitely not trends me. at the moment as well isn't it yeah yeah for sure well, when are you going to start calling some of your boards high modulus carbon? <laughs> hey, well, we yeah. As soon as we start using high modulus carbon, hey, there you go. Lights, a... Which we don't really feel is necessary. It's. Uh, I dread to maybe, think how much those would be. Yeah, exactly. We don't want to. We don't want to drive the price up too much. Like we keep it, keep it, at least somewhat affordable. Uh, I know it's expensive, but you know. It's 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 what it is. Yeah, there's yeah, a reason cool. for it. Um, how do you ensure compatibility with all the different foil brands in terms of your box position and the likes with your boards? Um, there's two things: there's the box position relative to the inserts and uh, and your your standing position, and then there's the angle of attack. Um, we make most of our products with a 90 degree angle of attack just because it's the most neutral position and from there if you really want to you can use base plate shims or or shamia tailwing to make it work um 90 degrees is just like an easy one it doesn't it work with it works with most foils there's a few brands that make their foils and boards uh work together better on purpose which I can understand from a business point of view. Is Such that? As, I'd, lo- I'd love to. I'd love to know who. I'd well, love to know who there. F one is one because F one has like a tail rocker in most of the boards, so you need to compensate that somehow with a foil. So it is compensated in their foils, and a lot of people who ride an F one foil on our boards, they want to shim at one or two degrees, which is not a. I mean, it's it's not a. It's it's super easy to do. It's not a problem but and then at the same time armstrong of course have been driving that further forward oil box position which i must say they have driven it to a point where it doesn't make sense anymore especially in the beginning if you see their like their forward geometry boards where the box is really far forward then you see someone riding it and you see they're actually still their position is also moved very far forward so they are just really far forward on the boards because you naturally without thinking about it you will move your you will adapt your stance to wherever the foil is so it doesn't I, I, this is this is purely an aesthetic observation having never used one so there's no credibility to this whatsoever but just visually i'm really not convinced by a lot of the armstrong boards and the way they look they look quite odd to me yeah well they, they at least they do their own thing which is you know which True. is good i i i, I like their products uh i've Coy's, he's diplomatic isn't he he spent, <laughs> he spent, spent the last 10 years being media trained here uh i am a bit because i because we need to we need to work with a lot of other brands and we need to you know i i give honest advice to our clients when they ask me you know they they email or call or whatever else when i have this foil does it work and i have to be 
I want to be honest because it's no no point for anyone if they buy a board and it doesn't work, you know. So that's yeah, why yeah. I always try. And I've written a lot of stuff as well on our board. So I've written a lot of Armstrong uh, myself as well. So I'm very well aware of their product. Um, nowadays, they are sort of going a little bit further back, but they're still the foils that always want to sit the furthest forward. That also has to do with how the fuselage connects to the mast and that sort of stuff and how it's set up uh, under your feet. That makes a big difference as well. So for them, we did a lot of boards for Armstrong Riders where the foil boxes moved forward. Um, but if you do want a, if you do want a, a, a news flash in, your, in this podcast, we are... Uh, this year, slowly introducing our own foil boxes that we designed ourselves, which are not like surfboard fin boxes anymore, but truly designed to be foil boxes. And they will be longer, so we completely uh, are get rid of that problem. So we we are more uh, more. How, how will they differ then? It's mainly still injection molded, or are they totally different. Yeah, yeah, they're still injection molded, but they're. They're designed in a way that they will only work with our construction process. So it's designed to, we had to really adapt our construction process to work with the normal future style box. Uh, and these ones, so I could sell you one, but you probably won't be able to put it in your board because it's a completely different way of setting up and tuning. Uh, so that's how they're different. And they're designed with a way thicker plastic flange so it doesn't break. Uh, under pressure it spreads the load a little bit more over a great yeah area. yeah and there's a bigger hole in the middle so you can drop your tiga nuts in quite easy that sort of that sort of stuff so does that mean what? you've been invested in an um injection molding mold yeah. for that yeah Ooh, exactly. big investment yeah. that was quite a heavy one yeah yeah um, but totally worth it now, again what's the, minimum, you know, what's the minimum order run for the first first batch i don't remember not that many. And also, maybe a thousand where, where, or something. Where, where will that be made? In Portugal. Cool. Yeah. So again, that's also with our philosophy of getting everything locally made. Like the, the official futures boxes are made in the US, um, but they were at some point very hard to get because everyone wanted them and they only made them for longboards, which were like, so everyone wanted to make foil boards. So a lot of them then came from China and came from all over, and we wanted full control over over everything that goes in our into our board. So that's why we decided to go for our own, make them locally, experiment with the supplier how much fiber you put into your into your uh, injection plastic and to make them stronger. But you can also go too far. So we now have them fairly well tuned. Uh, at the moment, they're still blackwood. I think in the end we could even make them like red or whatever. That's that's pretty cool. And we've got yeah, them branded cool. on the inside, which is cool. So you can actually read our, our name on the inside of the foil box, which I think is a cool little little detail that we put in. Oh, I get coffee delivery. <laughs> ah. Uh, so you you said that you said that you had to adapt the process to work with an original, well, effectively it's a fin box, isn't it? A durable yep. fin box, I suppose. Yeah. Um my understanding is that your process is just vacuum infusion. Yeah. So I guess one, maybe you're in the best position of anyone to sort of explain that to our listeners. And secondly, I can't actually get my head around why that would be super difficult to use foil boxes with. Um, yeah. So basically vacuum infusion with almost any brand, you'll see this board is vacuum 
pressed vacuum somehow, but none of them are vacuum infused. So the difference is you can either do a wet layup, which is basically you have your core foam and then you layer it with fiber, be it carbon or whatever. You wet it out with epoxy resin and then you've got, you need quite a lot of epoxy resin to get it properly wet out. Um, simplest image for anyone listening would yeah. just be YouTube videos of people making surfboards that classic thing of they've draped fiberglass over a board yeah. and they're pouring resin on it and pushing it out with a squeegee yeah exactly push the excess out it drips all on the floor you need a lot more <laughs> than you actually need um, so that's a classic way then one step up is vacuum pressing after that process you put the whole thing in a in a vacuum bag you pull away the air there's a few extra layers, but you take away the air and that pushes the laminate down to the core, which gives you a thinner laminate, better, like it forms around hard edges easier. This is almost a necessity with carbon because carbon, like fiberglass folds really easily around hard edges, carbon doesn't. So you need that car that pressure whilst it's curing to push it down. So you need that, that vacuum pressure. But the downside is that you it's still very hard to control the amount of resin. And you can't do both sides at once. You have to do one side and then flip it and then do the other side. And then if you do one side and then the other side, you have an overlap. You have to sand that overlap. And everything that you sand, you sand away strength because you've got to sand away carbon to make it flush. So you're always going to sand away strength any, anyways. And again, you, you, you can't, don't have control over how much epoxy you are going to pull out. It's always different. With infusion... Um, you don't put any resin, so it goes into a vacuum completely dry. So it's a dry cloth into a vacuum. And then because it's a vacuum, it sucks in. If you introduce resin, it will suck it into the vacuum because there's a negative pressure. Um, so we use that negative pressure to suck the resin into the fiber. Um, the way I always explain it is... If you have a sponge, you need quite a lot of water to fill it because before it's completely wet out. And then you can push it out sort of slightly. That's what you do with a vacuum press. But because we press it out completely first and it's completely flush with the core, there's a lot less room to put resin in. And the less resin, like there is an ideal ratio between resin and fiber. If you have too much resin, not enough fiber, it will, won't get strong and the same vice versa. Um, so the ideal ratio uh, is only achieved by vacuum infusion. That's why vacuum infusion is used in all high-end carbon race car parts, sailing yachts, everywhere. Or, 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 or pre-preg, which is another method of, yeah. of doing yeah. the same thing, I guess. And, and again, yeah. for those that it's super satisfying to watch, like if you want to look at this process, um, both a supplier that has materials, but also... Um, amazing videos there's a company called easy composites which i know supply yeah. through europe as well and yeah. they've got some fantastic sort of tutorial videos even if you've got no interest in making anything to yeah. understand this process and yeah. crucially how much work goes into it to justify the price of these apple tree boards yeah uh, i highly recommend going and watching them they're really yeah. interesting they make really really good videos but now the difference between like you say it's how is it how is it hard to do all vacuum infusion processes that are commonly out there use some sort of molding so you make a negative of your product that you want and you press it into this mold we can do it inverse so we do it against a mold and then we can do 
everything in one go. So top, bottom, foil boxes, inserts, whatever. Everything goes in one shot. Um, that is very hard to get consistently right. That's where our main difference comes in. So, um, yeah, that's basically it. So you must still have some rail overlap then or some overlap somewhere that requires a bit of sanding, I guess. Yeah, but if you press it down, you also got to think like normally if you do like, let's say you do three layers on one side and two on the others, so you get like three and two, which is a very hard edge. What we can do, because we can do it in one shot, we can actually sort of interlock. It's hard for people without. So it's yeah. top, bottom, top, bottom, top, bottom, instead of top, 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 bottom, bottom, bottom. So if you start sanding, you might sand away this one to get it flush, but you don't sand away all of these and create a gap here. That's a very, very key difference. Um, and because we press it down so hard, uh, the, there is less of a, a, a lip. And then after this process, it still needs finishing. So we do hot coats, we do cover with epoxy resin. So we cover with epoxy resin first and then sand. So we sand mainly in just epoxy and not in fiber that's underneath. So that makes it way stronger. Why does that process, why, so where does the difficulty come in with the foil boxes? Um, if you have anything that has air inside, it's going to fill up with epoxy resin. But one of the really common methods that like DIY builders do is just fill the box with plasticine, yeah. vacuum bag it, then you got to route it out anyway. Yeah, that works. But we do a lot of boards <laughs> and there's a lot of filling boxes. Just too plasticine. much time. Yeah. In a, in a production environment where, I mean, that just takes a really long time. And, and, and again, we're working with quite expensive, well-trained laborers. Uh, that's just not like we can't do it that way. We have to be. Have you created some sort of like cool silicon tooling or something? Yeah, it's, it's similar to that. Like, like yeah, our, our current box is just completely closed. Okay. So that's why you can't use it because it's completely closed. It only gets opened up in a later stage. Well, you could probably use one, but like it's really designed for our process. And the other, like again, the other advantage of infusion is that we can use different materials. So a normal layup would be uh, like an EPS core, and then you need something to strengthen your box. So you you route out a large uh, section where you sink in a piece of hard foam, and then you sit, sit your boxes in those. That does work, but it still creates a uh, an, an edge where the soft foam meets the hard foam, which is very uh, prone to breaking. And then what you usually see is that the whole big block becomes loose, not the boxes inside the block, but the whole block. And then it can still be closed. You know, the laminate can still be closed, but the whole thing can move. Um, so to start, we use a different foam. So our foam is way harder than normal. Uh, EPS. EPS is like the beaded stuff that your television comes packaged in. Um, we use a foam that has got no beads. It's completely homogenous foam, which is uh, extremely good because it's completely waterproof. So if you ding the board, there's no 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 water can enter, guaranteed. Like it, you, I have boards dinged and I just go right. Doesn't matter. So that's a really big advantage. Then we don't need pressure valves because it's also airtight so the the air can't move within the foam so there's no need for a, there's no use for a pressure valve because we could put one in but the air couldn't reach it so it doesn't matter you can leave a black carbon board in the sun all day 
uh, I wouldn't recommend because it's not good for carbon or epoxy, but it doesn't explode. It doesn't delam. I can uh, credit that whilst I was in Antigua this winter, there was a couple from the UK who had your boards and they left them in the sun all day <laughs> <laughs> for about two yeah. weeks. You can, you can literally fry an egg on them. They'll, they'll get up to like 80 degrees, but they won't like, they won't get damaged, which is the main point. Um, this foam is very, very hard to use without the vacuum infusion. And the reason is it's such a fine consistency that if you do a normal hand lamb, you'll end up with like tiny air bubbles in between your lamb and your foam. And those will uh, will will cause it to de-lamb and those, those will expand the little air bubbles that are on the outside. And with the infusion, because it's complete vacuum, all those air bubbles are gone. So they will all fill up with epoxy. So you get a much better mechanical bond to your core. So that's why we can use this, this core and other brands can't. Can do, I, you, so do, you, do you get a better, do you get a better lamp, um, a better connection between your laminate and the foam with infusion than you would with just regular vacuum bagging that yeah, most brands use? 100, 100%, yes. And that's why you don't suffer delamination? Exactly. Because yeah. that's why a lot of DIYers don't use that style of foam, I'm, I'm led to believe. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's ways around it. You can like punch a whole bunch of little holes in there so you get more mechanical grip to say that works um there's a, there's a few ways of getting around it but like again to do it in a large scale production as we do it's not possible uh, if you have that many steps um and the other upside of the foam is it's extremely strong so instead of having like we also use a different hard foam to sit our boxes in it's actually less thick than a big block it's only a layer that we cut out on the CNC and then we cut out the slots for the boxes so they're perfectly straight and, and the same distance apart. But the material that we use is actually a, a thick honeycomb made from PET foam, which is foam made from like Coca-Cola bottles, that material. So you know a Coca-Cola bottle, if you try to rip it, it's extremely hard. Like it's, it's not hard, it's like tough kind of material. This foam is very similar. It doesn't break. It's sort of like, it's very, it's a very strange kind of material. But because it's a honeycomb and it's perforated all the way through, on, upon injection, this will completely fill with resin. So it will fill up the individual honeycomb um, chambers with foam inside and then hard resin on the outside. And then we layer the inside and the outside with carbon and then stick the boxes in. So the boxes are completely fused with the foam reinforcement and the carbon. And they're completely sort of sandwiched in between. And then because we don't have a hard edge between a really hard block and a softer foam around, but everything is hard and then even harder, you get this sort of pedestal effect where you have your force on your mast uh, and it's sort of distributed out into the board. And because there's no hard transition anywhere, you, you have way less risk of breaking the board or the foil box because it's just distributed out smoothly into the into the board is that more i know um liam had a go on the jazz a few weeks ago at dame and the one thing that stuck out is you did say that it was one of the most solid connections you'd ever had yeah from i have never i've never felt like more like i'm stood on top of my mast with any board before yeah. and is that because of that technique that being that combination of things so that the pedestooling of the forces that works also the other way around. So your the, the force from your feet gets translated into the mast better. And then the, the hardness and the stiffness of the foam really helps 
with that as well. So yeah, there's almost no flex in the connection, which gives you a way more direct feel. So why don't other people use it? Is it purely a cost thing? It's not completely it's, necessary or, or what? It's all, it, all of the above. Mm. It's cost. It's, they can't do the infusion. Um, I mean, you can figure out how it works. If you put enough money into it, I mean, we figured it out. So it doesn't, it's not, it's like, it is rocket science because it's actually what they use in rockets. <laughs> it's, it's not, I mean, you can figure out, you, you could figure it out, but like you have to invest a lot of money and then set up a production that is actually capable of doing this on a, on large scale. So for most brands, like we are one of the only, especially in the bigger brands, we're the only brand that has their own production. So you got to remember that all the other board builders are either really small uh, or they are brands that have their boards produced in another factory. And then you are dependent on what can that factory do. And there's a few good factories in Asia, but there's only four or five that are good. And there's only two that are really good. And they they can make proper boards, but they make... Who are those two? It's uh, a Cobra mainly. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd say Kinetic is pretty good as well. Okay. Cobra is the most most famous one. They, they're massive. Well, that- those are the only two I actually know, so it's good to oh, hear that. Yeah, there's a few more, Chinese, especially Chinese, small Chinese ones. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, the, first of all, to get into Cobra is very hard because they're completely full with the big brands. They, they block up completely the production line. Then if you get in, you need if you're a smaller brand, you need to invest in, in, in tech. They, they have tech, but they'll, they'll make whatever you tell them to make. So you, if you have new materials, you buy the materials, you ship it to them. You're like, we have this new material. You got to start using it. Before you get into something that's actually a good product and it's a, long, a lot of back and forth, you are, you know, it's a year, a year in, you're two years in, and then you, you have to commit to a full-size container of stuff. And then if you get the whole container of stuff and it's shit, what are you going to do? Trash the whole container? No, you're going to try and sell that shit because you need to make your money back to get another container. So that all of that. And then most brands are like, if you, if you, most brands are mainly the design and the branding side, that's the brand. There's no production. There's no, it's, it's the same in most brands. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. Right? It's just, it's just a different so wait, way. They, they, they've been forced down that way over the last few years. Well, for yeah. over for, forever, haven't they? There's a reason why everything's made over in in yeah. Asia because it's yeah. it's so much easier to make an entire global well, network not, of distribution. There's also the fact that not everybody is patient enough, as you have been, to have an increasing demand. You know, most a lot of these or, original kite brands they started as small brands named after a rider or whatever. Yeah. And it's only because gr- um, demand grew so rapidly that they went, oh, crap, we've got to scale up quickly. Yeah. And the easiest way to scale up quickly is go to Asia, whereas you've yeah. been patient. And Yeah, yeah you and know. if you look, look, at, look at the only brands that have really succeeded in the last few years, it's basically the, the, the new north. And the only way they did it is because they had a massive investment and they could just boom, go and like get to the best factory and offer enough money, get the best designer and get the best marketing guy and then set it up from scratch because they already had a brand name that was well known. So they had something to build upon. There's none other. The others are all either old, as you say, or slowly got into it. Armstrong may be a difference. Like Armstrong is one of the, Armstrong and Axis, Axis has been around for a longer time with boards already. And there's also guys behind it that have a lot of experience working in other brands. And Armstrong is one of the brands that is like us, grew 
fairly quickly on this new new market that got up with the foiling. I find it interesting um, comparing this. We, we obviously work with SIC and Infinity, the two who essentially race board brands. And I know Infinity, although it comes across as a major race brand, you know, Kyle Lenny used to race their boards and all this crap. Everyone surfs their boards. They are still quite a mom and pop kind of company. They've only just gotten into kinetic and some of the stories when you speak to Dave from infinity about you know they they've got no money in comparison to the likes of sic who's who's owned by a huge conglomerate kind of thing or you know i think they or sic was in cobra but obviously these huge brands that have got far more power it's like the whole tesco's and sainsbury's supermarket style of thing who's got the power in the in the conversation between people you know sic have got so much more swing weight in kinetic than the likes of infinity so if anything goes wrong at infinity, you know, we, we, last year we had a, there's a PVC model that um, infinity produced for, uh, for, for a cheaper option and kinetic basically turned around and said, nah, we're not going to make them. Don't, don't want to. Yeah. And suddenly so I, I've got pre-orders, you know, I've sold these boards to shops because I've said, right, this is what's on, on offer. We're going to go and, and this, this is what's going to happen. And then four weeks before the container leaves the factory, they said, Oh, we couldn't be bothered making the fins because we didn't have time and we couldn't be bothered making the PVC boards as well. And suddenly it's that realization of, wow, these factories control everything. They They absolutely control everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's intriguing to hear that. And that's, that's why it's so cool to see EU production working and thriving and being stronger and better potential models than yeah. what we have coming from Asia. Well, I mean, sometimes we we yeah. ask ourselves like, would we be better off if we if we have a, if we put in a major investment and we grow quicker? And then usually the answer is is no because we also learn a lot along the way. Like even those, if you look at our earlier VWS boards, for instance, they were look at them in hindsight, they're pretty shit, you know, compared to what we do now. So I'm happy that we didn't make thousands, but we just made like we made a few, and then back then they were quite good compared to what else was on the market. So, you know, it's, we learn. And even if a brand now comes up and says, okay, I need 2000 boards and I need them in six months, we can never make that amount because we can, we have the space, uh, we can get the materials, but we don't have time to train the people to do it. It's just impossible. It's too complicated. It's too techy. You have to train, you have to, be stood next to them when they're sanding for days until they get it so it wouldn't be possible so it's better for us to just grow it naturally and do you end up with a shed load of b-grade products through training of new staff <laughs> we try to train them on like things that that already were wrong um so, oh, so pop cool. ups in the cnc they get to shape those old and then after we we put them in the shredder because we recycle all the foam so nothing gets wasted um but and we don't have a whole lot of b grades uh but there's a few here and there always there's always mistakes made so yeah they can train train on b grades and then start slowly with easier stuff you know send uh send the the flat areas first that's fairly easy and don't touch the rails yet so the experienced guys will do the rails and someone else will do the flat areas and then you grow into it you have to at some point touch the real product to know and to learn what you're doing but uh yeah, it's not like it, it. It doesn't take years to train. I mean, to get really good at everything, it does. But you know, it, you you can't also you can't do it overnight. That's for sure. Um, would you consider 
the business a success if you if enough brands came to you and went yeah we we want you to do all of our production now we're committing to a five-year contract blah 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 um would you consider that a success if sort of apple tree products disappeared to the background and you were just proud of being an eu manufacturer and go down that route or would you always want to have your products in there for the fun uh we 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 have this discussion back to for instance cobra cobra used to make windsurf boards under their own brand name in the 80s uh they don't anymore they're purely a producing company now we we have sort of a minimum balance between oem um, building for other brands and uh and our own brand which we do try to sort of uh stick to so that's you know that's that's for us important we also want to grow apple tree surfboards as a brand so um, i'm i'm you know yeah, I, I really want to see apple tree surfboards succeed apple tree surfboards also has like it has the story it has the heritage now it has the history um it's it's the company that is we do all our own experimentation like if you build a board for other brands you'll do the design usually together with them but you know they also have a designer that has an idea so it's it is our construction, which we are very proud of, but it's not necessarily our design. So design-wise, it's all in Apple Tree Surfboard. And we are still quicker than everyone else because we have our own factory and we're constantly prototyping all the time, testing new stuff. I think we're always on the forefront of design. And then, you know, other brands, it's it's so it's always a balance of, of both of those things. I don't want Apple Tree to fade away to the background. I want to, want that that part to grow as quickly basically try to go level up together that's cool have you got can you tell us about some upcoming products that might not have been released yet i mean like yeah. you say this is such a rapidly evolving space <laughs> yeah so so um we are in the process of launching a new concept which is called the skipper which is kind of cool um i think uh freddie already touched upon it briefly in an earlier podcast of yours as well um so the skipper concept it it started as a concept we wanted to break away from making flat wide boards that are fed super efficient planing surfaces we wanted to because that's only for that brief moment that you're getting onto foil and then after what do you end up with is the really big heavy swing weight of a board that does want to stick to the water surface a bit too much when you touch down so we said, okay, now that foiling has evolved into something that like there's a lot of people who don't need that efficient planing surface anymore. Why don't we make a board that's really good for all the other times that you hit the water? So carving hard, foam bashing, uh, landing jumps, all that stuff. And, and for that, you want main, mainly something narrower, a bit more forward box position and, and not a sticky bottom basically. So the whole idea of the skipper is to skip back up from the water surface. So that's the concept. So it's a whole concept design, um, which we are launching now. So the skipper prone version has already launched. You can see it on our website. So it gives you an idea of what the skipper concept looks like. Um, and then in the next few months, we will launch a new iteration of the concept every month. So the next one that's coming is the skipper uh, short, which is a really small board for kiting, wake, use, and dock starting. In addition to our normal kite foil board that we already have, 
our normal kite foil board is a really flat, super easy to learn kind of board. So this is much narrower, super rounded on the bottom. And then we'll launch a wing version. Uh, there's already a few here and there. There's also some posts already online that you can you can see that board. And then eventually it, we're also going to launch a, a downwind board that also doubles up as an amazing lightweight wing board. Um, so so that's much much longer and narrower but with the same design philosophy and concept on the bottom very cool, very cool. Very i've cool. seen the dimensions of those downwind boards look quite good as well having having seen them and, and looked at them a little <laughs> bit um yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, might, you may well have hit the nail on the head with the yeah kind of kind of sizes it's it's interesting seeing where the whole market goes and different brands go um, and then seeing yours in, in conjunction with all of it. That downwinding is a really tricky one because it's, it obviously like it started with the guys around uh, Dave Kalama in, in Hawaii and they have, they have really specific conditions. They use this really long subs or like the bark prone uh, pedal downwind boards. Those kind of a really, really long to, and very, very narrow to get enough speed going to get onto those higher period swell so a higher period swell moves quicker than a shorter period swell so you need that speed so you just need a needle to get that speed and without minimal friction but have enough you know umph to get going and then enough volume to get picked up um we don't really have that i am a terrible supper uh we don't really have downwinders in our team so we this is also a board for us that's back to what we talked about earlier this is a tricky one because it's something that we're not very good at so we tried to collect a team of riders that were enthusiastic about testing and this is also a board that we launched early prototypes quite a long time ago and got them tested by a lot of people all over the world basically to get an idea of what works so in the beginning we only had these longer ones not as long as the kalama ones but like fairly long our longest one is seven seven which is really long for what we normally do um but what, what what got back from guys who were riding, for instance, a guy in the Netherlands, uh, Jonathan Mann, and he's a he's a one of those foil yeah. freak guys. He's posting a lot, a lot of people following him. He's riding on the lake in the center of the Netherlands. There's a massive lake, which is amazing for downwinding because there's always a wind direction that you can use. So wherever there's always a, a downwinder to be made. But it's only wind-driven swell. So it's like four or five seconds job. And, and they needed shorter boards because the really long boards were almost as long as the interval between two <laughs> waves. So it was getting sticky. So they wanted something shorter. So we, but we also didn't want to go too wide. So we're just trying to make sort of chunkier, wider versions for those different, it's different kind of conditions of, of downwinding. That's uh, fun. I'm just trying to compare it with some of the conversations I've had with some of the guys who downwind sup in the Lake District. And it's all starting to make sense excuse me uh you know you you look at them um maliko runs casey and all that lot were doing and they're all on unlimited boards that are like 17 foot long yeah that suddenly being a complete moron like i am with with all that kind of stuff it makes it makes sense because again yeah. 17 17 foot board in the lake district is completely yeah. pointless yeah, exactly. because it's if it's all wind driven chop chop exactly like you said it needs to be a yeah. bit shorter so I, I had a conversation with a a guy ages ago, a couple of years ago, prior to any of this foiling stuff, and he was saying, oh, I reckon about 11-foot board is, is yeah. as big as we want to go for the Lake District downwinders, just purely yeah. because you get a 17-foot board, and like you said, it's sat on the yeah. peaks of two waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. So, okay, so, it's starting to make yeah. sense. 
Yeah, it, and and so again, like for us, it's it's very tricky. So we need to get a lot of boards out, and we didn't in the beginning. We didn't want to launch, but we're now going to launch a wide version and a narrow version, um, where the wide version is a bit more user friendly. It's a bit easier to learn. It's it's wider, so it's more stable, and uh, uh, you can use it with like hand people. People are trying with hand paddles. Prone uh, prone downwinding works really well. Um, it's shorter, so it's a bit easier to ride once you're up on foil. It pumps a bit better. Uh, and then I see that as has huge potential for light wind winging. And that's something that we were not really designing the board for, but just got as a bonus. And then like I, I personally don't like winging when the wind is really light, but I know there's people just, they only want to do winging, nothing else. So they want to go winging when it's eight knots. Or they have a spot where it can go from like 16 to 8 knots in a matter of seconds and they need to get back home and then a board like this will work really well. Um, the funny thing about the skipper concept is if you're riding it with a wing, I was riding the 7-7-120 liter board here last week in Portugal on the, on the ocean. And it's crazy how, where normally you sort of feel when you go from on the board to on the foil, you know, you feel that transition. With this board, you don't. It's basically a one, <laughs> one sort of lift of fluent motion. And the same when you touch down, it's just, it doesn't stick. It just glides and then it goes back up, which is an amazing feeling. And it opens up the possibility to wing in light winds without having to use like a 1300 centimeter wide wing. You can ride a much smaller uh, uh, wing, which you would normally use for normal winging, maybe a bit bigger, not and then and still have fun. You know, you don't have to be on those massive glider planes because the smaller foils need a bit more ground speed, as I always call it, before they start lifting off. And so uh, this board will give you that ground speed without having the massive sticky thing. But it's not a beginner board, you know? It is not a beginner uh, shape. We have other shapes for, for, for beginner riders. This board mm. is really made for people who want to ride and actually like the foil box is really far forward so it balances out the board you're stand you're stood in the middle of the board and basically like a sup so you're way more to the middle of the board um yeah. which does balance out the swing weight a bit things go slower but you got to remember that in this type of riding it's not about extreme moves or carbs it's about finding bump to bump getting downwind, finding those swells and riding them and maybe carving a bit, but not like doing extreme snaps. So that's what the board is perfect for. And it things go a bit slower, but it's the type. It's of gonna board. be it's gonna be awesome to see. Even yeah. you know, obviously that okay, yes, it's growing over here in the UK and it's growing around the world as well, but it's obviously going to be a very small aspect of what we do over here. But even look looking and, and seeing the likes of the skipper wing, for instance, we've talked, Liam and I talk quite a lot about how much all these rules that we think about of winging go completely out of the window when there's actually wind. Yeah. Um, when there is actually wind, you don't have to worry about any of this shit. Any, there's no stresses. You just literally sheet in and you're off. Yeah. You could yeah. ride a, you could ride a plank of wood and you'd yeah. be up, you'd be up and riding in 40 knots. You know, it's not yeah. a problem. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting. Yeah. I felt the drag. I felt the drag on on hard railed boards. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, cool. Yeah. So mine's when, horrific. When you, <clears throat> yeah. 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 Absolutely horrific. Why do you mainly ride? I made mine, um, but it's basically it's as good as a ride engine moon buddy. Ah, okay. 
with like a chimed yeah so literally like when when and because it's wide as well as soon as a rail touches the water it is horrific yeah yeah that those are those are terrible like a concave will just suck in water and actually slow it down more even if the edge is is hard what it was good for although it was probably completely the wrong choice of board to have made uh, what it was great for was this would be great for being a trainee for you lot on the basis that there's so much design features of it that are difficult to both laminate and sand and all the rest of it. Yeah. I don't know, I have it, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah. I mean, the most, the craziest thing, of course, is the, the KT uh, Jing Shu board. Like, what do we reckon to that? That's kind of gone, it's gone a little bit quiet over here, really. I don't know if they've had. Issues I think, getting stuff over or what? For those for those not watching, uh, his face was very much like, "Damn it! Oh God, I got to think of an answer to this." <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was. I knew I, I brought it up myself, so it's my fault. Um, <laughs> do you hate? Do, do you hate it? No, no, no. Like design wise, I get it. Um, uh, technically, it's the stupidest idea you can come up with because you're creating <laughs> a weak spot in the in the spot that handles all the stress. When where does a board break? Right there. Um, so in order to fix that, they had to beef up that section heavily, so the board is really heavy. Um, okay. Which, but then the weight is largely under the mast, I guess. So does it affect mm, the field too much? It, maybe not, but people hate heavy boards. Just like. That's the thing. In a shop, if you pick it up and it's a kilo, kilo and a half heavier than the board next to it, people don't like that. That's another thing. Even though realistically, do we really give a fuck? No. Like not in a lot of cases, no. This year, you've seen with a lot of brands with the new boards that are coming out or that are now just out, they are all heavier because everyone had to beef up their construction to, to, (laughs) to take the beating of what people are doing with the boards nowadays. So all of the boards are more heavy than they were last year. And every brand has a funny sort of story on their website explaining why it doesn't matter. And, uh, and maybe it doesn't matter. And it's good that everyone got heavier. We were on the bigger volume boards. We were always on the heavy side due to the weight of our foam. On the lower volume boards, so 50, 60 liters, we are always very lightweight. But we sort of had that tipping point at like 80 liters. Uh, now, because all the other boards got heavier and we don't have to get heavier because we're already strong enough, we are one of the lighter brands again, which for us is kind of fun. So, um, yeah. It's, it's very that. cool to see the progression yeah. in general with all of it because these all these brands are having to learn, the manufacturers are having to learn so much as well, aren't they? Yeah. As, 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 especially as the, the, you know, the, the, the whole sport keeps changing every six months. You know, it's yeah. suddenly about one thing and then it's suddenly about another. You know, everyone started making flatter boards with harder rails. And now, as you've just said, everyone's now coming away from it because yeah. you don't yeah. need it in certain scenarios no. when, once, or, or once you get to a better level, let's say. And it's, it's getting more specialized. You know, it's way more specialized now as it was before. Like in the beginning, there was winging. You know, and now it's freestyle winging, wave winging, light wing winging, uh, race winging is something we haven't even spoken about, which is also something that's that I is don't feel like very a lot of people aren't correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't really doing too much on the race side of things at the moment. There, there is it'll come. There oh, I guarantee it'll come, but it's I, I don't I, I don't know much about it at all. So from there is still a few of those windsurf clubs that survived from back in the day. Most of them haven't, but there's still a few. Um, they're organizing races because they always have. 
so in if you go to Cape Town, there's the Milnerton Aquatic Club, which is, I don't know if you've been, but like in Cape Town, there's a little lake just like 200 meters on the side of the road and the dunes from the beach. Um, and it's like a reservoir and there's a big sailing and windsurfing club there. And they organize races every two weeks and it's full of guys and everyone joins and all the local, even the local pros join in because it's a, just a heap of fun. And they have a little prize giving ceremony, and it's that's actually super cool. And there's a few of them happening now. There's definitely yeah. a few more popping up. There's one going to be down in Cornwall in June, I think, yeah. and there's been loads over in Portland. But there's very little specific kit that I've seen. It's coming. I, it, it's coming. Okay, it's right. coming. That's cool. Yeah. Be great it's, to see. Like yeah, but like, for instance, like we work with Levitas, they make the fastest kite surf foil. Uh, I mean, they've won everything the last few years. The, the, the Chubanga one is pretty good as well, but those two are basically the ones that are going to compete for the Olympic title next year. Um, they are working hard on something for winging. They already won the world championships last year on a board that we made, but it was still a stock uh, board. Uh, but a little, little plug there. I see you see that little plug there, Liam. <laughs> it, was, it was. It was not. A, <laughs> it was wasn't ours branded. It was a Levitas one. But I mean, I don't care. We won. Um, <laughs> it feels like we won, which is cool. And uh, I, it's coming. And it's. I think racing. It's. It's fun. You know. It's what you do naturally when you're out with friends and there's and you're not wave riding. What are you doing? You're trying to overtake each other. You're trying to get like wind out of each other's sails literally i mean that's sort of what a lot of people will do and it's fun you can do it on any level that's a nice thing about racing there's no judging there's no you know it's well, very i see i see that because we've talked in a in a really early podcast about a local guy here that set up a little race series and it was so much fun now i feel like the level required for winging is way lower than the level required in kiting. I mean, to kite, you've got to learn to kite first. Then you've got to learn to kite for. You've realistically yeah. got to be able to turn round at least yeah. and not, you know, not crash into other people and stuff. Whereas winging, yeah. you're going to yeah. get to the level where you can race so much earlier. It's going to be hilarious. Yeah, and super fun. And, and the way they do it in Cape Town is they, that lake is really small. So they have a really small track. It's like five buoys. And the race only takes two minutes, maybe a heat. So you just do heat. So you just start here and then to that boy, to that boy, and then have a downwind stretch that you have to pump. You're not allowed to use the wing. You have to pump, then go around the boy, and then again to the other mark and then back and across the line. That's it. And it's when, really when do we, when do we start? What was it? Uh, windsurf cross style stuff? When, it's, when almost start? it's almost that. It's almost that. It's super fun. And you can annoy the shit out of each other with your foil because you know, the turbulence of the foil if you cross someone else's turbulence it's really shit so if you're just in front of someone the other person behind you can't really foil so it's actually quite fun and it is quite hard so you have we, to choose your own we yeah. know what your your style of racing is going to be like then <laughs> i'm going to be that asshole for sure <laughs> no it's it's really it's really fun and that's uh, that's why i think for where the freestyling is really hard uh it's going to be for a select group of people uh, apart from little jumps, I think freestyling is Yay, so Yay, freestyle. For, uh, <laughs> for, the, for the average rider, it's not going to be fun. And and the average rider can race with their friends. So I think that's that will be a thing. For anyone that is listening, uh, Kite Surf Kit, which is Pete Stevens down at Myla Harbour in Falmouth. This is just a little plug for them. It's been really interesting. He's obviously approached me from the Ozone and the Axis side of things to be involved with his race this year it is amazing to see how much interest he's gotten yeah. from from brands in and out of foiling kiting 
Um, there's some some bigger brands outside. If anyone is available, um, I, I got no affiliation with it at all, but agreed with exactly what you're saying there, Vega. It's yeah. going to be re- it's going to be really cool to see a lot of people turning up and having a go at this stuff. And I mean, I, I'll probably get roped in. I'm I'm not a very good in that sort of scenario. And there's there's going to be a lot of people there that are only going to be able to go downwind, for instance. But that's, that's kind of not the point of just going. And, and try yeah, the point is having having, having fun, fun. friend yeah and, and and it's like in the netherlands there's a there's a, an old windsurf club that that have organized a long distance race for years and years they've added a wing division there is a super old catamaran open ocean race contest not the around the island one that you're probably familiar with on Dessel, but one between two rivaling beach clubs in zandvoort and nordwijk and they go from nordwijk to zandvoort and back they added a wing division, which is this year first time, which is really cool. Uh, and then the nice one is we've been to the Foiling Festival twice, which is a demo festival and contest in North Germany, which is actually really big. Like last year, there were like 60 booths. So it's really, really massive. They organize a fully professional race with boats and everything. And it's completely like, and they have like old guys league, kids league, there's like eight-year-old kids on boards racing and then the pro league when, and everyone can join. So, yeah. What does a... Um, <laughs> what, what, but that's cool. What does a race board look like in your eyes right now at this current stage if you were to make the fastest board you could? Well, I, 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 think in, I think the skippers will be really good for it because you probably it, are going to... Is it long and thin? Yeah. Uh, I, I would say, like, ask me a year ago, I would probably say, like, more a shorter, wider thing just to get going. But uh, now that now that I've tried these boards and how efficient they are on touchdown, and you're probably going to end up in situations where there's not a lot of wind or there's a, an upwind mark behind a tree where you have to cross and you might touch down on the water. Um, in the short races that they do in Cape Town, it's one, it's 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 one on the start because it's such a short thing. So the quicker you can start, the f- the faster you're off the line. Uh, I think that type of board, and then volume wise, like a little over your weight probably, so fairly big, will 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 probably be the way to go for for the racing. What will happen? So say it comes to the Olympics, for instance, and they're they're going, they're going to be racing in certain areas, and you know, if it's a a lot of wind, and it's a moving start, yeah. and it's shit hot riders, surely we're all going to be on 30, 40 liters, and if you crash, you're you're just gone, you're out. Is 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 that going to be a thing? I have is no idea. The, how much is the board going to slow you down? Well, yeah. And is it? Are you going to trade that for safety? I mean, look at you know that yes. that's what that's that's what I think. By the you time know. it's at Olympic level, for sure. If it's if it's Olympic yeah. level, potentially. If you, make, if you make a if you make any mistake <clears throat> in kite foiling now, yeah, you're, you're fucked. Yeah, and 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 you take another couple of guys with you usually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. but um, yeah, no, I don't know. We will have to see where it goes. I I do think like for instance the the versions of the R five Levitos foil, which is their Olympic race foil they made for winging are not much bigger they're roughly the same size good luck even in 40 knots trying to pump up that without a board with volume that's just like there's no you need a lot of initial speed to get those going so you know try a 699 art like and then 
you know that's that's going to be you can't pump it up you really have to get that initial speed so a bit of board will always be beneficial for that I'm, I'm sure and and again you know most of the races the actual races are one day events they're planned on a day and they go ahead no matter the wind conditions so that's what i know from a lot of kite racers because we work with a few um their main the, the majority of their events are ridden in like 10 12 knots yeah, and they true. they actually train to fly their smaller race kites when their wind is strong, just just in case they have a contest where all of a sudden it's twenty five knots, and they have to fly it then, you know. Um, mostly it's not. So I, don't I know actually that. watched. I got to witness um, when I remember Kai Lenny set some speed record on the wing quite a long time ago on his watch and I think that week there was a solid forecast here and Guy Bridge went I'm going to go and beat that and he literally put his race foil on and whatever and I got to watch and just, that and it was and it, mental it was sketchy mental sketchy as fuck to watch him flying across the bay there yeah. he was he was all over the place wasn't he it was it was interesting to watch I think he did it a couple of times I watched when he was doing it almost mm. in the river mouth and it was yeah it was really good to watch it's really really sketchy with the with the kite racing because the kites are so big you go crazy fast like seven, 60 70 kilometers an hour if you hit the water it's painful but because you have the kite and it's fairly big it will catch you when you fall so if mm. a foil breaches if you race foil breaches or you hit a plastic bag or seaweed or something you're fucked but usually you see the guys flying off with the wing not so much so yeah it is i my personal record is close to 45 kilometers an hour on my watch i think racing with the art 899 axis what's um, um yeah what's that in normal speak i guess that's not high 20s over, knots it? i guess yeah something like that because uh, i know the guys over here they do portland speed week and i think it was the afs guys all came over and hit that pretty hard and yeah. they they dominated they yeah. they were the i think i mean i'm making it completely up and i'm sure we'll get comments from people suggesting i'm wrong but they were the only i'm ones gonna to- grab my ad calculated for you but keep talking well they were they were the only ones that actually got anything over like 25 knots and i think uh the main chap got 30 knots um everyone else was struggling to get 25 and these guys just absolutely dominated so it'll be interesting to see where that goes because i know from that quite a few of the other guys i've i've sold a 699 off the back of that to big big joe who's going to be listening i guarantee it um so to try 40, and beat that 45 kilometers an hour is 24 knots that's nothing that's so, yeah. nothing no chop chop no but <laughs> you know like yeah try to hit the waters try to hit the. oh water. yeah no that's the scary part like going that fast is fun but as soon as you drop it's just painful i always um i always get a reality check because i uh talk about this you know with guys like you and freddie and whatever and then uh i'll be chatting with my dad about something no, he used to do barefoot ski racing when he was a kid. Yeah. He's just like, mate, shut up. <laughs> Grow a pair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. He, used to hit, he used to hit the ramps at over 40 knots. Oh, Those are insane. Oh, yeah. God. Anyway. Right, Liam, what else? Have you got any other? Zingers? I think we've I think we've held him far too long, to be honest. Happy I'm very conscious of the time. We literally were like, 
we did say to each other just before you joined us the uh, the episode with James Casey was quite long and that we'd aim to aim to make this one a little bit shorter but it's going right. to be the best part of two hours again. <laughs> yeah. that's, been it, that's why I said to you the other day it's uh, yeah, set, set, set aside two hours because as much as I mean we're going to faff around anyway but as much as we want to do it less than that you just it's a nice conversation I'm not going to bloody stop yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to get what, halfway through am I? what I would say is and this, this is there's no there's no intent to um, to justify our use of your time here whatsoever. It's more of a from a personal perspective. I know of your brand, I know of your product, and I've like watched quite a lot of your videos, and I've quite enjoyed in the past some of the tech videos that you've done about construction and stuff like that because that's more what I'm into. Mm-hmm. Um, but having heard the story of your brand and how it came about with sort of friends, family figuring out the construction yourself and where it's gone. I'm I'm already way more bought into it, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want one of those now. Well, that's the story, isn't it? Story. Yeah, it is a story. Yeah, I think you've got to have a story from, behind the brand. From from a that I think those are. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you've already got aim like ways of doing it anyway. But like that's such a big marketing thing, isn't it? When you've yeah. actually got an authentic story and you're not just selling the product, but genuinely the whole thing behind the brand and how it actually got to that place. Yeah, yeah, I think it's cool. So I, I really and, appreciate and to then, time to, to then back it to then back it up with the style or the uh, quality of product that you've got as well. It's not like you're going. We've had a really hard struggle, and this is the kit that we make, and we're all going, "It's fucking shit." Yeah. There's, a gr- <laughs> there's a great story, and there's a great product there as well, which is which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, super cool to hear. Which we, we we do our. I mean, of course, this the story is what it is. It's not like made up. Uh, we do, of course, use it. And as a marketing tool, because why wouldn't we? Um, and and I think there's there's a few other brands that, that have a similar, like mainly Patagonia brands is one of the brands that are similar kind of storytelling, but it's actually all true and it all actually happened. And that's the stories that people want to want to hear. So yeah, I actually I, I I don't know if you've seen it yet. I was I was talking to my to Tom, my colleague. Um, there's the Patagonia have just released a video in the last week or two weeks yeah, or whatever I've, it is. I've, I've seen it. it of Fletcher Chenard Designs yeah. story. And Liam or anyone else that's listening, it's well worth a watch. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's Yvonne Chenard's son and how they started the, the surfboard company. So Yvonne, Yvonne Chenard's son, Fletcher, for anyone, again, that doesn't know, produces a, a board brand called FCD, which is Fletcher Chenard Designs. Uh, they actually sponsor Rio Stevens, um, Ozone Wave Rider out in, in Hawaii. Uh, they, they make some amazing looking boards, some great looking boards. Uh, as well and so they've just put Patagonia, Patagucci have just uh, done a video a 40 minute yeah. video on um, on YouTube it's really, it. it's really fun it's very very similar to ours yeah, I, actually, it's cool. I actually know a few of the guys pretty well I met a few of them in the US when we were there because we also work with Ozone and Ozone's now working with them so we met a few of them so it's really cool to see how they have sort of yeah, well similar kind of story but they're 25 years in and we're like mm. 10 so we're a bit behind, but it's really nice and nice guys as well. That was cool. All right, great. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time, Vega. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. When we right, when we you. eventually set up a, a YouTube channel and start figuring out how to make videos, we'll come and do a, a factory tour. You're more than welcome to come and do a factory tour. That would be super cool. And yeah, I that, that would, would be sick. I'm going to try to make it out to the UK this summer, but I have also just promised today to our Swedish guys that I'm going to go to Sweden as well. So I need oh, to... fuck them. 
yeah. We'll uh, we'll see. I probably uh, I I really like UK. It was last time I was there was two years ago, so I think it's uh, we'll do another visit. Is it sure. two years? Holy shit! Yeah. Yeah. Well, a year and a half, of course. Year and a half. Well, it will be. Yeah, by the time. Yeah. Well, you're always welcome. Uh, I Thanks. know Rich down in Bantham would love to see you again and and get some more kit out of you because I know he's been loving it. For sure, um, and, and sure the, the waves yeah. there. I've been riding those those river mouth waves with uh, with Martin Connolly, which is so much fun. That is one of my best foiling well, spots. Liam and I hate the fucking place after the last time we were. There. <laughs> <laughs> I got so lucky when I was there, as I got. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's it. We're, we're not choosing the right conditions, and although we say we keep going and ride Bantam River Mouth, we've never actually managed to get into the river mouth. Uh, because okay. we, keep, we keep riding everything else, but we're, we're, we get too impatient. <laughs> well, the problem is when you go from Bantham, it's like half a mile paddle out to the river mouth. So we, it, we always get lost yeah. on the way, basically. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be great to have other, you over. Start on the other side and just go follow the current. It's not far. I know, but it costs like two pound extra parking. So we went to show. You can park at Mar- in Martin's driveway. Just hit him up. He's got a big driveway. It's only like yeah, a we'll three do. minute walk. Will do. He's a, we'll he's do. a nice guy. He will go out foiling with you guys. Um, how, what I was going to say, I was going to say, how do you want to plug the business? But obviously we just plugged it for a little while. And then I've just realized that, that being now the agent for the UK, this is just going to be a little bit stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the only impartial one here. Yeah. Liam, you, 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 you wrap it up. You wrap it up. up. (laughs) And I've just had a coughing fit. What terrible timing. Um, yeah, no, you'll have to come over to the UK just to chase Freddie out, won't you, to make sure he's doing a good job. He pays the bills. <laughs> no, I think the story the story sells itself, the product sells itself. I mean, I, I I've literally had one go, and um, yeah, it was that was my that Freddie got my comment exactly correct. It was I have never felt like I have been so stood directly on the mast before. It almost felt like I was riding a different foil, and I was yeah, I was actually using using something that i'm normally familiar with so yeah products sells itself yeah so we're going to get a bunch of boards out to the uk also some demo boards i think so uh yeah let me know if you've ridden the new boards because i'm super curious how people react to those especially um you know experienced riders see how it goes Can't what wait size to see uh, liam what, what size skipper wing do you want 50 55 60 65 that's 75. a very good question isn't it well based on what based on what my conclusion was in that recent episode it's either got to be sort of 45 size or it's got to be 70 ish size isn't it what's your weight in kilos 85 86 yeah and i'm sort of finding that this middle ground is tricky there's a lot of people it's, like in the middle ground as well, though. It's an, it's an, it depends. It, we can't go too much further because I actually no, listened yeah. for a volume, your volume thing, and I had some things to say. So I'm just going <laughs> to do it, say, do it, do it, do it. Because I speak to a lot of people advising them about board. So for me, the middle ground is sort of this 10, 15 kilos under to like five kilos under your weight. That's the middle ground I really try to avoid. Try to go around your weight or just under for a board that you always can ride no matter the wind conditions you always can get back home or drop well below i'm that's like, that is this, exactly exactly what i said but it's yeah but your middle ground is slightly lower than what i would describe as a middle ground so that's maybe maybe the difference so if you're 85 oh, you, kilos no. i would say 
I would say in literature, you should avoid the 75 range. Like right. I'm 95 kilos, so 75 is my top end for the sinker. But I prefer 60 because the, the deeper you sink it, the, 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 the less quirky it is. It's easier to control and everything. And exactly. that middle ground, you skip the whole middle ground. So I, do, I think we do agree, but it's just the middle ground section for me is a little bit higher up. Uh, right. I still kind of enjoy like, I can still enjoy like a 90 liters i can still enjoy a 90 that's my sort of biggest board that i would ride when it's when the wind's really low because that's still it does sink when i stand on it but i don't consider it a sinker and then like i said the the the, the biggest and the small size i will go is 75 but i prefer 60 60. so where am i going in that small size 50, is it 50 is it 40 or is it 50? 50 50 50 55 for me for like for your weight I think will give you the best balance in because yes, of course you can go smaller, but then if you jump, for instance, you'll go straight through. It's nice to have a bit more of that pop back up uh, and a bit of volume doesn't really hurt. Like if you go super, super small, you the, the benefit is not so much anymore. And the downsides start to sort of outweigh in my, opinion. I just wondered whether that, that 40 that I was using, that was like super stable underwater. And I wondered whether by the time you got to 50, it would start getting washed around a little bit more or not, but a little, yeah, a little. You need to try. Yeah, yeah, you need to try. I think you mentioned in the the one podcast that I was listening to when I was driving to Portugal. What, just one. Uh, yeah, that was. That's a long drive. It, it's a, yeah, so I have more podcasts to listen to. Um, <laughs> I have the drive back in a few weeks. Now. Um, I think you said you wanted to try the same board in different different volumes. Have you did it already? No, but I have got, um, so I have had offer to do that on um, the new F1, I think it's the Wing Rocket S, whatever the new one is. So I have had an offer of that. And when they land in the UK, I will be doing exactly that because that I'm really curious about. Yeah. And we'll try and film that. That would be cool. Not with F1 boards, but it would be cool in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I've got space to store a bunch of batteries. So yeah. if I'm if I'm coming over, if I'm coming yeah. coming over, we'll do it together. I'll bring yeah. them. That'll be good. Keep us in, keep us in the loop with that. Yeah, I will. That'd okay, let's end up. I'm going. To Brilliant. Go. All right. Thank <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks very much, mate. Yeah, Chat no to worries. you soon. Thank you so much. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Bye.